Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We are continuing our discourse on Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbha. We're still halfway through it, moving gradually through this thick section. Uh, tonight we'll begin with the 53rd Anucheta, which we just touched upon in the last class. Krishna's body is transcendental and most beautiful. So Jiva Goswami continues, If Rishavdev's body has the aforementioned characteristics, those characteristics being Rishavdev's body is itself fully transcendental, and Rishavdev is a saktavish, a vesh avatar. He's a jiva who's been infused with the Lord's potency. The actual word used in that regard is pervasion. In other words, his body was pervaded by the Lord's energy. And as Jiva Goswami explained in the last Anucheda, the Avesh avatars come into flavors. In one, the pervasion is very extensive, to so much so that it induces the living entity, the jiva, to perceive himself as the Supreme Lord. But we shouldn't look upon this as some, something that's, that's false. This is the Lord actually bestowing his energy to such an extent on a jivatma that the jivatma can conduct his affairs within the material world. An example, a crude example, would be that of a king. A king can fully, if he sends a minister or a knight, a captain, a general, out on his behalf, he can bestow upon that personality all the powers that would be required as the, to act on his behalf in every regard. So it would be quite exceptional, but you know, heads of state do this. We we set up embassies in foreign foreign areas, foreign countries, and that ambassador is speaking on the behalf of our country, or if it's a kingdom, on behalf of the king. He has power of authority. So the Avesh avatars are jivas that are empowered by the Supreme Lord. And the example that, and the point that Jiva was making in the last Anucheda is these Avesh avatars, their bodies are fully transcendental. They're, they've given up. They're, they're fully on the transcendental platform at that stage they've, that they've received such an empowerment. 
So the first empowerment is so pervasive in them that they feel themselves. Well, I don't know if they feeling, because a feeling would be something separate from myself. They actually perceive themselves as the Supreme Lord, like Rishavdev. And if we look to this Anucheta, the last Anucheta, there's actually you know, a verse where Rishavdev is instructing his sons. This is a verse from the Bhagavatam. And Rishavdev himself says about himself, Therefore, unless one has love for me, Sri Vyasudev, he is certainly not delivered from the bondage of material life. So it's a pervasive, pervasive influence of the Lord Shakti. Now, a less pervasive influence of the Lord's Swarup Shakti is one where the Lord bestows upon the Ajiva a specific characteristic of his energy. The second type of pervasion induces the living entity to identify himself as a devotee and an upholder of the Lord's potency. Now, we've heard it said from very reliable sources, there's a little Radha in every devotee. So there's a little Swarup Shakti in every devotee. But the Avesh devotee has a lot more than just every devotee. But, and we can see sometimes, like we even see in, uh, I don't know if I saw, but certainly somebody with some real vision saw, Bhakti Rakshak Shirardev, saw his Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada as being an Avesh, having the empowerment of Lord Lichananda in order to have accomplished what he did in the Western world and spreading Krishna consciousness basically all over the planet within, you know, a blink of an eye in human history. So this is this is a a, a very current occurrence of a Saktavish avatar and that we've all had direct experience or direct enough experience of. If Rishavdev's body's transcendental and he's just a Avesh, a Saktavish avatar, how much more transcendental is Krishna's body is what Jiva's saying. If he has, if a, if a Rishavdev ha, has the aforementioned characteristics of having a totally transcendental body that's not influenced in the least by the modes of material nature, how much more Krishna is like that? What more can be said about the body of the original and complete personal absolute, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam? Uh, for example, and now he's going to give us some evidence to support this point, as he does. This is what the Anuchetas do. They give evidence to support a philosophical point, and the primary evidence is usually is Srimad Bhagavatam. Sometimes even to support that evidence, the commentary of the great commentator on the Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami, is used as support of the supporting evidence. Sometimes there's also some Puranas 
I mean, Jiva, Jiva's primary, primarily a Srimad Bhagavatam, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't doesn't take some evidence from other important Bhakti Shastras and Upanishads. So now he's going to give some support to this as how much transcendental Krishna's body is. And in doing so, he's going to bring out some other characteristics of the transcendental nature of the Lord's form. So Bhishma Dev said the following. This is from the first canto. At Maharaj Yudhisthira's Rajasuya sacrifice, there was a great assembly of eminent sages and mighty kings who honored him. The Sinoshur of all eyes by offering him first worship. Now this same self has again appeared before my eyes. So we just began discussion of this. It's the end of Bhishma's life. He's waiting to die at the perfect moment, being a as an example, he's already a devotee, he could leave at any time, but as an example to great yogis, he's waiting 45 days for, uh, he's waiting for a solstice equal between the, the summer and the winter, that one day is suspicious for leaving your body, so he's basically been killed on the battlefield, but still, He's got some benediction that he can determine his his time of departure, and he's going to take advantage of that benediction. He's bringing this to mind. Krishna and Maharaj Yudhisthira have shown up at his, you know, at, at the time of his departure, and Krishna's blessing him, fulfilling his desires, and he's remembering back to the Rajasuya sacrifice. And he's remembering the fact that this, at the Rajasuya sacrifice, Krishna, of all the participants, and this was a pretty big affair, it was a big party on the face of the planet, all the great sages and sages, you know, kings, everybody came, for the most part, to this, to this sacrifice. And of all the personalities, well, they had they they took a straw poll and they said who should be worshipped first, who's the most worshipped, and this was part of the sacrifice to to take the most eligible personality and to give them what's called first worship. It's called agra puj. So of all the personalities, they chose Krishna. And who chose Krishna? Well, Bhishmadev's saying here, who chose Krishna? The most eminent sages. Now, these sages were Jivan Muktas for the most part. They were they were well well schooled in sagery. <laughs> they they were not attached to material nature. They would they chose Krishna and it just goes to show Krishna couldn't have had a material body because they chose him. They already, these sages knew the difference between matter and spirit. 
They would not choose somebody with a material body to take first worship if there was somebody available who had a fully transcendental body. So this is support, praman, for the concept that Krishna, the Supreme Lord, has a transcendental form. And his form is so transcendental that not only the sages, but also the mighty kings. These were the, the most powerful kings on the face of the planet, and they also chose Krishna. His prowess exceeded all. And then Bhishma's heart is also in this prayer. He is so beautiful. No one, not only has he got a transcendental body, not only to all the kings, does he excel all the kings, but boy is he the most beautiful personality. He could only, only a transcendental personality could have a body that, that beautiful. He, he is the, uh, of anything beautiful that the eyes would, would be drawn to, everybody's eyes are drawn to Krishna. Sridhar, now, let's just reinforce it, Jiva's thinking. Now let me tell you what Sridhar Swami has to say about this verse. And he basically just paraphrases. Jeevas goes on in his Anucheda. Sridhar Swami comments, Bhishmadev said, this person who is the self of the cosmos has appeared before my eyes. He has manifested before me and become visible. How fortunate I am. This is Bhishma's intent. So, Sridhar Swami is just bringing out, he's trying to give us more of a glimpse into the heart of Bhishma Dave and the, his thinking that went into this prayer. It is a characteristic, this is the commentator, such a Narayan Das. He says the following, it is the characteristic of Krishna's transcendental body that he can manifest it to someone at his will, while simultaneously keeping it concealed from others. The learned and experienced Bhishma would not have exulted at his fortune if this were not so. A little bit of explanation regarding the Lord's forms is now given. Uh, first, uh, evidence by Srila Rupa Goswami from his Lagu Bhagavatamrita. In the transcendental abodes, that means beyond the material realm, in the spiritual realm, lying beyond material nature, Sri Krishna exists in three kinds of expansions called Swayamrupa, Tad Ekatma Rupa, and Avesh. So the Prakash manifestations in Vrindavan and Dwarka are Swayamrupa. They are Krishna himself. Prakash means what? They have all the potency of the original. Well, they are the original. They're just a different manifestation of the Swayamrupa. Uh, Swayamrupa also has Vaibhava, which is Balaram, 
Balaram is exactly like Krishna, but he has a different color. So that's one. Swayamrupa, the original Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, the original, complete, absolute, 100% personality of Godhead. That's Swayamrupa. The Tadikatma Rupa expansions include his Vilas forms. They are different from the original in some particular aspect. And the Swamsa manifestations, they may not have the complete potency. They are a manifestation of the Supreme Lord, but they don't exhibit all the potencies of the Lord. They may exhibit just some portion of those potencies, like Matsa, Matsya is the example given. Vilas manifestations are almost equal in opulence, Vilas. Swamsa expansions have less manifest power than Vilas forms. And then we have the Avesh forms, and we went over those at the beginning of our discussion. Avesh rupas are not Vishnu Tattva. They are empowered jivas not in the same category as Swayan Bhagavan or Tad Ekatma Rupa. So we have three. Swayam Bhagavan, Swayam Rupa, Tad Ekatma Rupa, less potency, different bodily feature, either one of those distinctions from Swayam Rupa and then we have the Avesh who are empowered Jivas who are empowered for a specific purpose generally when that purpose has been accomplished that empowerment is is no longer there but there are exceptions there's exceptions to all the spiritual rules it seems but Narda Muni. Narda Muni's powers, he's always Narda Muni. He's Saktavish avatar. He's a manifestation, incarnation of, of devotion. He's also sometimes referred to, along with Prahlad, as uh, Siddha and Nichasiddha. He became perfect by devotion, or he was always perfect. Well, he tells his story, and it seems that he became perfect by devotion. So, But Vishnunath Chakravarti, in his commentary on the Bhagavatam, does point out that certain people say Narda is Nichasiddha. He's always been perfect. Once you're perfect, you're perfect, and you're not going go to go back to imperfection. So, how... What exactly Vishwanath Chakravarti is meaning there? Meaning what he says. Narda's both. What do we call that? A doksija. It's beyond the range of our logical understanding. But it can be understood. Uh, Saktavish avatar use Narda here as an example 
Narada describes his own spiritual body to Sri Vyas in the first canto. As I was about to inhabit the pure body befitting an associate of the Lord, my body made of five material elements dropped away as all the accumulated results of my karma had been extinguished. We also find a nice example in the, uh, in the final discussion between Narada Muni and Prachini Bharisat. Uh, we find a very nice example of the, the, the falling away this is in the fourth canto of the subtle body, how the subtle body is, of the devotee is dissolved. So if you really want to, to study up on that, uh, I think it's third from the last chapter of the fourth canto, Narada Muni in, the, in Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's English, the English translation of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's Srimad Bhagavatam commentary, you'll find uh, a very interesting section on uh, Narada's final instructions to King Prachini Barisat on uh, on the dis- dissolution, the final dissolution of a subtle body. How the because the the mind, the intelligence, and false ego associated with material nature is still inert matter. It's still part of the material realm. And it also has to be left, has to be dissolved. And the process of devotional service does that. From the very beginning, when we take to the process of devotional service in good association, that's one of the that's something that begins from the from the first day when we are ser- sincerely take shelter of Krishna then uh, Plashagna begins at that stage and the kleshas are removed the five kleshas this is in sadhana bhakti it begins and it's practically complete at the stage of bhava bhakti so it's it's an ongoing these kleshas that have kept us like ropes tied to material existence are being slackened and eventually completely dissolved as we continue in our devotional practice going on to the 54th anucheda so we've heard from bhishma dev as to Krishna's transcendental body. Now Jiva Goswami uses as his evidence regarding the transcendental body of the Lord uh, the prayers of Devaki to Lord Krishna at the time of his manifestation or his birth, So, because he appeared to take birth uh, from her womb uh, in the prison house of Kamsa. So, after honoring Bhishma Dev, one of the twelve Mahajans, Jiva Goswami cites Devaki. Initially, they feared Kamsa might kill their son, but seeing that he was the Supreme Lord, that fear was abandoned, 
and prayers were offered. This is the verse from the Bhagavatam, third chapter of the tenth canto. Similarly, Srimati Devaki also says in her prayers to Krishna at his birth, the Vedas speak of some form which is you, Vishnu himself, the flame of spiritual truth. There's an abbreviated presentation of the verse in the actual Sandarbha, the full verse. The Vedas say this form is the unmanifest, the original. It is Brahman, self-luminous, Jyoti, beyond the material qualities and without transformation. It is pure existence without attributes and without action. Verily, it is you, Vishnu himself, the flame of spiritual truth. Now we will proceed to see that this verse is a refutation of all, of not all, but a lot of the various philosophies and misconceptions in regards to the form of the Lord and the absolute nature of the Lord's form. We saw this earlier when we had the uh, the verse where it was presented that the, the Lord's form is Ananda Matra. It's, it's complete bliss. It's avikalpa, undifferentiated. And it's self-luminous, a vid of archa. So now we go to we go a little bit away from well, Jiva Goswami goes to Sridhar Swami's commentary again to, to reinforce Devaki's prayer. So this is from the Bhavartha uh, Dipika. That is his commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam, Sridhar Swami's. Sridhar Swami, the Vedis speak of some form, namely some entity. He's paraphrasing what He's paraphrasing here what Devaki is saying in her prayer. The Vedas speak of some form. They don't give a lot of detail, but they speak of some form. So there's some vagueness in what we can find in the, in the Vedas regarding the Lord's form. What is that entity? Devaki answers that it is unmanifest of yakta, etc., and we're going to go through the etc. in detail. Whatever it is, that entity, which appears as though an effect, and yet is directly perceived by me, is you, Vishnu himself. Now remember that you will find in the commentary of Sridhar Swami a balancing act that he utilizes as what we would call a preaching strategy. And his balancing act is at his time when he was presenting the Srimad Bhagavatam with his commentary to his culture, what was even which was before the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the predominance of, of the spiritualists in his, as I said, his culture in India at the time were followers of Sankaracharya. 
So their conception of the Supreme was one of Brahmati. They were willing to accept the supreme energy of the absolute truth, but they could not wrap their consciousness, even their spiritual consciousness, around the fact that the Lord was more than just the underlying energy of all existence, both material and spiritual. Their concept was not the proper concept is presented in the Vedas, which we would call, uh, well, Brahmati, the Brahman concept, or uh, Brahman realization. But it was Brahman realization arrived at through a misinterpretation of the Vedas. So it wasn't the real thing. I won't go into detail here. There was a necessity at that time to pull people away from Buddhism and therefore that pulling away from Buddhism had to be in a way that was somewhat conducive to their methods of thought regarding spirituality at that time. So that pulling had something to do with the fact that the Buddhists, their ultimate ultimate uh, uh, priogen, what their goal is, is nirvana. Nirvana is a, a supreme, which is nothingness as opposed to a supreme which is spiritual energy, but without qualities. So it's a, it's a step-by-step process. So first you have the Buddha who's trying to correct the misapplication of the Veda and trying to stop people from killing from violence in the, in the name of the Veda in order to attain heaven, Swarga, so Buddha, Buddha has to come and get them away from misapplication of Vedic knowledge, and he says, Give a, "You don't have to follow the Veda. You just need to, you just need to extract yourself from material life, and 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 merge into nothingness." Sankar comes along and says, "Yes, we need to get away from the Veda." Well, we don't need to get away from the Veda, but we need to, we need to get away from, from performing sacrifices improperly. So the next step is we need to accept the Veda, but we can accept the Veda in a, in a, in a way that's it's very similar to what the Buddhists say, except we understand that it's not nothing, it's something. So it's still, we don't want any, neither of us want anything to do with material nature, which is nothing but a lot of trouble. But one is, is the ultimate objective is the void, nothing, and one is spiritual without material qualities, which is actually what Brahman is. 
But in order to bridge that gap, Krishna put Shiva in charge. And he told Shiva, he said, I need you to go down and I need you to preach from the Veda so that they start looking towards the Veda as a source of knowledge. You can give them your a mis you can do a mispresentation of the Veda and that will capture the spiritual intellects of the day who were for the most part Buddhists. Buddhists. So it's a step process and then Ramanujacharya comes and then Madhvacharya then we have Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and we have this gradual elevation of theism from misapplication when the Vedas were not being used properly through this impersonalism misapplication well voidism impersonalism to pull those people into the fact that actually there is a spiritual energy that's that's the driving force of everything it's not nothing something doesn't come from nothing so if it was all nothing then there wouldn't be nothing there so you know the the Buddhists are good. They 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 want to. The Buddhist idea is good in relationship to material nature. You don't want nothing to do with material nature, but having nothing to do with material nature doesn't mean that you merge into nothing. Better you merge into something. Merge into something spiritual because otherwise the whole philosophy kind of gets a little wanky if you don't see that there's some underlying spiritual potency that manifests the material world. So it was a step-by-step -step process, and if you look closely at what Lord Shiva accomplished as Sankaracharya in his presentation, it's quite amazing. Because you get this Dwaita Vaj, you get this, uh, this, this, this method of looking at the Vedas, which is, it just doesn't work because there's so much else in the Vedas supporting the personality of Godhead. So you definitely have to give a misinterpretation so you can push those ideals aside. Otherwise it wouldn't have worked. You wouldn't have been able to pull these people gradually step by step to the personal concept. It was a genius plan. It was executed flawlessly, step by step, from Buddha through Sankaracharya, who was Shiva, then up through Ramanuj, Madhva, and then Sri Chaitanya himself, Krishna himself, comes as a devotee, as the icing on the cake, and he presents a Chinta Beta Beta Tattva. which is where we'll end with tonight if I can get there. So let's talk about this verse of Devaki's and look at it and look at how it refutes some of the other philosophies I didn't say that right. Philosophy. Thank you. <laughs> philosophies of the day. <laughs> okay. 
Srinar Swami gives a lucid explanation of this verse in his Bhavartha Dipika. So he went into some real detail in his Bhagavatam commentary. Devaki, and just I'll just kind of go through this step by step. Uh, we're not going to study each one of these in relationship to the underlying philosophical points that comprise these thought constructs of these various theologies. But what I want you to walk away from as we kind of rush through this is the fact that how much Devaki knows. I mean, her depth of spiritual understanding is just in the way she put this this verse together. These few words goes to show how deep her spiritual understanding is. Because everything here is just from one little Sanskrit term that she uses in her description of the Lord who is just manifest before her in the prison house of Kamsa as her son. Of course, he doesn't come out, he doesn't manifest as her son initially. He comes out as the complete Vishnu manifestation of the Lord. Four arms, all the fully, all the paraphernalia, all the weapons of Vishnu, down to the ankle bells and arm bracelets. Devaki says that the form of Vishnu before her is the same reality described in the Vedas. How do the Vedas describe his form? as unmanifest, of yakta, and as the original cause, ajja. Logicians conclude that atoms are both unmanifest and the cause of the universe. So does this mean that the Lord's form is atomic? All right, so we're going to be hearing two sides here. And... First, Sridhar Swami presents what Devaki says. Then he gives an interpretation according to other theistic schools. And then he defeats the, that misconception of, that could be applied to what Devaki said. So you see what it's just... Uh, and he does this through practically the whole prayer. So logicians say, well, does that mean that the Lord's atomic? Devaki says, no. It is immense, Brahma. Then perhaps it is Pradhana. Okay, well, you're saying it's Brahma and it's immense. Well, Pradhan is, is immense because all material nature springs from this energy of the Lord which is also unmanifest. Remember, Pradhana goes through stages. It's unmanifest, then the Mahatattva comes, and then the material senses come, and then, you know, we have the whole Sankhya, Sankhya philosophy, which is also unmanifest and massive according to the followers of Sankhya, the cause of the universe. And Sri Krishna also refers to Pradhan as Brahman in the Bhagavad Gita. Now, this is an interesting verse that's quoted here from the Bhagavad Gita. It's uh, from the 14th chapter. 
And this is like one of those verses from the Bhagavad Gita where you get a glimpse of the fact of the nature of that distinguishing line, that tatasta line between the Lord's internal potency and his external potency. So this is the third verse from the 14th chapter. English translation, the total material substance called Brahman, in the verse, Krishna uses the terminology Brahman, Pradhana, is my own womb into which I sow the seed of living beings. O descendant of Bard, it is from that womb that all living beings proceed. This is this we can see. This is the way the jivas are provided an opportunity to take up residence in the material manifestation. So he, the Lord, is looking at this entire substance, which is not conscious, as his as the womb in which he places consciousness, infinitesimal particles of consciousness, and from which, from that womb, the material universes are generated. Devaki responds by saying that Krishna's form is jyoti or self-luminous, which according to Sridhar Swami means conscious, chaitana, and since Pradhana is inert, she could not be referring to it. Sridhar said, no, it can't be Pradhana. Pradhana, this energy, prana, this could not be what Devaki's referring to. She uses the word chaitana. That means conscious. Pradhan is not conscious. It's inert. It's that inert manifestation of the Lord's energy. Sridhar Swami goes on. Then perhaps his form is identical to Ishvara of the Vaisisekas who consider the Atma conscious merely due to contact with the knowledge present, present in the material gunas. Devaki responds to this by saying, Near Guna, the Lord's form is free from the material Gunas. There's a class of spiritualists, transcendentalists, vices, sekas, and the concept is when the Atma, the Jiva, ourselves, come into contact with the energy, the material substance, then knowledge springs up because of the material gunas. Doesn't really make a lot of sense to us because our concept is you're already conscious. The material gunas are manifestations of an energy which is, in essence, without consciousness. How could consciousness come from something that's unconscious? So therefore, Devaki in her prayer uses the word shaitana. 
which is conscious. Sridhar Swami goes forward and we'll touch upon the other philosophies, the next discussion, step by step. This, as I said, this one prayer of Devaki is, is replete with, with refutation of all kinds of misconceptions that a transcendentalist could embrace without good guidance in relationship to the form of the Lord. I'll stop there. Thank you so much for your association.